Hey there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I am Lex Michael. Uh, all right, man, uh, we're doing something a little different this week. We don't have a main Missing Out show for you guys. Uh, we went a little too hard on Thanksgiving, too much food. Uh, we're in, uh, I believe it's called a food coma. Tari is still passed out with uh, gravy all over his face. I am on the floor just now coming to. Uh, the podcast mic is on the floor with me. But anyway, we wanted to get something in your feed this week. We, we didn't want you to think that we had forgotten about you. So like I said, we're going to do something a little different. Now, this may come as a bit of a shock to some of you listening. Uh, try not to clutch yourself a little too hard when I say this. I am, in fact, in a relationship with someone who is not Tari J. <gasps> I know, I know. Uh, and my better half is a lady named Mary Ann Ramish. She is an actress, a writer, a YouTuber, and the host of a brand new podcast called Friends with Benefits that we do together. Uh, what is Friends with Benefits? So, launching to coincide with the 25th anniversary of the wildly popular pop culture juggernaut that is Friends. This is a show where a couple goes through the entirety of the series episode by episode and the lady tries to make the guy fall in love with the show that she's a massive fan of. That's right, folks. Marianne, big fan of Friends. I myself, I'm gonna get so much hate for this. Not really. And when I say I'm not a fan, I don't mean like it's garbage. I just mean it never spoke to me, never pulled me in. I never watched the show. So it is a journey through the entire series where my girlfriend basically tries to indoctrinate me into this world. And we look at it from both a fan perspective and a critical perspective. And what we want to do for you guys is we want to throw you a little piece, a little sampling of this new podcast. So what you're going to get this week is about a, about a half hour from the first episode of the Friends with Benefits podcast uh, featuring Marianne Ramish and myself, Lex Michael. Uh, check it out. And I'll be back at the end of this half hour to, uh, you know, wave bye-bye. Hey guys, welcome to Friends with Benefits. I'm Marianne Ramish. I'm Lex Michael. And I am a huge fan of the show Friends. And I'm not really. So I'm going to make you watch every single episode and hopefully change your mind. If I'm if I'm allowed to right up top since we need to uh, I assume tell people what we're doing here. I, I want to clarify. I feel this is an important qualification. I don't dislike Friends. In my experience, anytime the show comes up in conversation everybody's like oh i love it so much and they ask me what i think of it and i say i it's fine and somehow that gets translated as i hate it i think it's the worst show ever i, I don't understand but it does happen i want to make it abundantly clear no i do not dislike this show i just never felt i found my in the way it seems like so 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 many other people were able to pretty easily and I'm your girlfriend, so I'm going to do the service of introducing you to it and making you watch it all in order, because I feel like that will make a difference and get you more invested in the characters the way they are. I saw, while it was airing, I want to say the last several seasons, probably two to three at minimum, my mom would watch that entire block of programming. It was Thursday nights, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I would see most of that block of programming for a couple of years, because she would always have it on. It would be on when we started to eat dinner, mm -hmm. you know, so that that these are what half hour sitcoms or maybe four of them. But that's only a couple hours of content. So that would be 
uh, a Thursday night unofficial ritual almost. Like it would just be on. So I caught a lot of it. So you definitely did see a lot of it. Way later though. I mean, we're talking like the stuff that I remember is very much towards the end of the run. Like when Paul Rudd was around, for example. Yeah. So you weren't, you didn't go on the journey with all of the characters I did the way other people did. And I think that will make a bit of a difference. I assume it must, right? Because most of the things that were clearly big payoffs played as as nothing. Like, I could tell, oh, this is important, but it didn't mean to me what clearly it meant to so many others. Right. Are you ready? We'll find out, man. All right. I, I, we watched the pilot. We, we did. did. We finally did it. It, it took a long time. It's an auspicious occasion. If you're if you're listening, uh, pour pour a glass of champagne for us. It's a big day. All right, I'm gonna set the stage for you. Oh, please do. It's the early '90s. Ooh. Seinfeld is already a hit. Yes. But most of the other sitcoms that are hits are family-centric stories. Example. Full House. Sure. Cosby Show, even though nobody talks about that. We're not anymore. allowed to talk about it anymore. Don't talk not. About the Cosby. They're gonna, they're gonna shut us down. Yeah, things like that were the norm in terms of sitcom lore. So David Crane and Marta Kaufman were looking to work on a sitcom pilot. Before that, they had met in college and started writing plays together. And from there, they produced a show called dream on which i've never seen but it actually sounds kind of interesting because it's about a recently divorced book editor whose life is filled with fantasies and sexual daydreams but they use footage from old media so it'll have clips from different old movies tv shows all of that to fill out his fantasies and it ran for six seasons so it wasn't unsuccessful sure but it was definitely different from what they were looking to do next. Sitcoms were really where the money was at, so they just had a few parameters that they wanted. They didn't want it to be about a family, and they didn't want it to revolve around a single individual, because Dream On is basically a guy who's hermited himself, and it's all about his fantasies. So they wanted more of an ensemble cast, and they were looking for inspiration, and Marta Kaufman drove by Insomnia Cafe, and just had an idea of a bunch of 20-somethings that were over-caffeinated. And that was the birth of Friends, if you will. Is that... So is it canon? I mean, obviously they drink a bunch of coffee. But is it is canonically the reason everybody's so heightened all the time? Obviously it's a sitcom, and sitcom acting is, by necessity, very, very heightened to begin with. But is that the in-world explanation for that? It's just that they are all crazy hopped up on caffeine all the time? Because I like that. It's only canon in the sense that that's the story they tell about how they got the idea for the show. I'm calling it canon now. You could say it is just because they're always at Central Park. So, yeah, they're always caffeinated. I've seen the pilot. I'm now an expert. As far as I'm concerned, they are caffeinated all the time. Exactly. To me, though, when I think of an over-caffeinated show, I think of Gilmore Girls. When I talk about Friends and I say why it's so great, and I think the way that they started talking about it as well is it's about the time in your life when your friends are your family. Sure. I think that's more encapsulating of what the show is, but sure, over-caffeinated 20-somethings. Yeah, I like it. If you had pitched the show to me that way, I'd be like, why aren't we watching it right now? That sounds like the most relatable program. Over-caffeinated 20-somethings? Yeah. 
because you're an overcaffeinated 20-something. Exactly. Why didn't you pitch it to me that way, man? We could have been watching the show years ago. Because that's not how I think of the show, but, you know, that's if that life. works you... for you, if that's your first official way in, here we go. Yeah. Victory I, I already. I feel all of a sudden like I am one of the friends, or I could be. You could be. I'd fit right in. I, I, I like coffee, and I, too have friends all right it's 1994 okay and a little show airs on tv it was definitely set up to succeed from the get-go so it's not like it was an underdog or anything it was on immediately before seinfeld right and james burroughs directed who if you you don't know if, if you have watched a sitcom between the present and 1974 that you loved, decent chance Jim Burroughs directed a bunch of it. Yes. The biggest one is Cheers was Cheers, his like, thing. Right. And also he directed for Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, Laverne and Shirley, Wings, Taxi, yeah. uh, Will and he's Grace. legendary. Frasier. Uh, and he's still he's still working now. I mean, he's the the guy. When you think of, like, if there was one, if there was a... Uh, uh, this is my. This is where I'm going with this. This is my point of comparison. You know the the Monopoly guy was Mr. Pennybags. Mm-hmm. If Monopoly is the sitcom landscape, Jim Burroughs is the Mr. Pennybags. Anyway, <laughs> the description of the show is Monica and the gang introduce Rachel to the real world after she leaves her fiance at the altar. This episode has three different titles because it was the pilot, right. and pilot that's what I, it was originally called. And then I think there was sort of, there was a name given to it by the fan base and a name given to it by the show. So I think the one from the fan base was the one where it all began. Sure. The show, I think, later started calling it the one where Monica gets a new roommate. Okay. Less, uh, less sentimental, more pragmatic, more to the point. Yeah. More in line with their other naming devices. First thoughts? I'm curious because we set it all up to watch the other night and you put a note on your phone. Do you remember what that was? Yes, actually, I do remember what that was. We we attempted to start the other night and we got uh, very heavily sidetracked. But we got as far as first few seconds of the opening titles and I was struck by the, the sandwich that was sitting on the, on the side of the fountain. That this time it looked oh. like Jennifer Aniston was eating and that's not very hygienic. You're worried about their hygiene? Well, look, clearly they've they've got good health insurance. Look at where they live. Sure. But it's it stood out to me like, oh, she's she's so especially as characterized, right? She's very well to do. You could say spoiled, very doesn't really know how the world works. I don't buy, based on how Rachel is characterized in this pilot, that she would be eating a sandwich off of the side of a public fountain. I guess I would have just imagined it was Joey's sandwich. I could imagine Joey eating a sandwich off of the side of a public fountain, but it doesn't Jennifer Aniston take a bite of it? I don't know. Probably. That's what stood out to me. <laughs> I don't first. really think about the sandwich and, at the and opening power credits. play. I was just like, that is not hygienic. Also, thought it was and and I know this is the the intro to the show. It's the same opening titles that, that they have the entire run, right? I found something very jarring about how they just pop in out of nowhere, as if from another dimension. Oh, yeah, they just... Something's really uncomfortable about that motion, to me. Like, where'd they of. come from? They came from our imagination. They are our virtual 
friends. They're like the they're the fourth dimensional imps. They're or fifth dimensional. They're they're the uh, it's a friend group of Mixus Pitalix. Yes, exactly. And they just have to say their names backwards or forwards. It's backwards. If you can get one of the friends to say their names backwards, they will disappear back to the fifth dimension. How do you say Mixus Pitalix backwards? I I don't have any idea how you pronounce that. I'm not gonna try. Did you have feelings while watching the opening credits? Did did it give you anything? Any negative, positive? You know what I kept thinking to myself, and kept thinking it's not a very long title sequence, but I kept thinking, I bet if I get into this show, four seasons from now, this intro is going to feel very welcoming and will make me feel happy if I find a way into it. Right now, it's a little absurd. Okay. But it's not absurd not absurd in a way. I'm not taking a shot at it. It's obvious I think it's probably doing exactly what it what it needs to do, right? Just odd. I, I was too fixated on like where'd they come from? Who sandwiches that? Why is she eating it? <laughs> Does she have mouthwash on her? Yeah. Well, you said that this is the same title sequence. It is what they use, but they intercut footage from the show. That's from now right. on, this is the only time you see it. On its own. Okay, so they're not. There's not quite as much of them all dancing together. Not as much. It's just interspersed because one of the producers was concerned. It felt too. Look at us. We're rich and in New York, and we're having so much fun. And you're not actually part of it. It felt too exclusive. Apparently, right. we're dancing in a public fountain, which is explicitly against the law. But no one will touch us because we're well-to-do twenty-somethings <laughs> in New York. Yeah, and of course, the actors get asked about that business a lot because that was one of the things they shot earlier on in their careers and apparently it was a miserable shoot because it's night outside so it was in the middle of the night cold all of it and whenever they watch it they say it's super surreal because these are a bunch of younger versions of themselves that had no idea what they were getting themselves into so speaking of that are were these actors all in their 20s at the time no i know that Courtney Cox is older than David Schwimmer, but he plays her older brother. Sure. Well, he's taller. Yes. Chandler, Matthew Perry, is the youngest actor. Really? Yes. So he was in his fairly early Early 20s? 20s. Really? The thing about this show that I think everybody connects to is how you can connect to it. It's very relatable. Well, not everybody, but obviously they're going for broadest audience possible. So pause. Wait. It's a, explain, explain. The way you connect to something like Full House is it's an idealized thing. In in the song, even, it's talking about, oh, whatever happened to that good old American value type stuff? And so you connect to it through that prism of this is a nostalgia type show. Okay. With Seinfeld, you connect to it through... They're hyper aware they're in a sitcom. They all and it's all cynicism and minutia. Exactly. Whereas with friends, it's you connect to it because these people are like us. I don't quite know that I'd go that far. I don't think I saw a character in the pilot. It's again only the pilot that made me go, "Oh, this one is me." Not but. in the sense of, oh, I'm a Chandler, I'm a Monica. There's a reason. Some oh, people... that's right. So many people do that. I that guess people friends do. And, friends and Sex in the City are the I two think biggest sex shows the... for that particular exercise. I think Sex in the City is the one that started that, and people have adopted it. But with Friends, it's more... That was a somewhat underrated, underrepresented category, was those people 
in that age range where they're not established in a family yet. Right. But they're not kids that are with their parents. Right. And what's they're the, figuring it out. Right. And what would what would the closest precedent for something like that be? Right. Uh, I, I can think of a bunch of shows like Cheers, for example, which is ostensibly a group of of people who form their shared experiences at this bar leads them to form a somewhat somewhat functional family unit but it's not the same thing right they just congregate around this bar and they're also all playing at least 10 to 15 years older than all the other friends right so what i guess yeah i can't think of a precedent for it where it was what six six young people and their their makeshift family versus 30 to 40 somethings in a in a bar in a workplace and so it's situational comedy about situations that are adjacent to that age group's experience in the world right it's sort of like the mary tyler moore show and how that was groundbreaking and people connected to it because it was about a single woman whose goal wasn't to get married she was having a career and she was just figuring it out that's sort of what does it for me with friends whenever i rewatch, i feel like i can connect with something else that i didn't connect with before so right off the bat, the show goes into Central Perk, and you can tell they do have the over-caffeinated thing behind it because it's one moment and then jump to what seems like hours later and they're still there, and there's another moment and then you jump to hours later and they're still there. Chandler is talking about his weird Freudian dream where his phone is, no, his, his penis is a phone, mm-hmm. and his mother is calling him. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yes, there is. I like that that is true of Chandler's character from the get-go is he has some issues with his parents and his sexuality wait is that you can't tell me because that would be spoilerish but okay so you you just the way you put it makes it sound like they're establishing a thing that intrigues me because that I I don't know I feel like Matthew Perry could play the heck out of a very neurotic character who Mm -hmm. has sexual issues tied to his relationship with his parents yeah the third bit is Ross coming in and saying hi, like he is the most miserable person on earth. Yes. Which is sort of like a pre-inciting incident because they establish Ross just separated from his wife and she moved out her things. Yes. Poor Ross. I suppose, though, they hit his now ex-wife being a lesbian really hard. They're going to continue to do so, I believe. Okay. I don't know. So I, I the show. if if they if they continue to bring this up and it makes sense that they would. This is clearly a big life event for Ross. How they were together 4 years. How did he never once pick up on that? How would he? Well, if she's now maybe she's bisexual, but if not, then right? But back then, of course, right? It wasn't bisexual. Part of the, wasn't right? Really wasn't really part of the discourse. So if that's if that thing. right? If if because the discourse hadn't evolved the way it has evolved, if you sub in the term bisexual for for lesbian, then okay, that totally tracks. But if she's supposed to be, you know, if she's if she's gay, if she's not bisexual, if she only likes women, I would think at some point that would have come up. But I don't know if she was just trying to pigeonhole herself and she was suppressing it in herself. I think that I could easily see it's so easy to follow the path of what society is telling you to do. If that's the case, I feel so much worse for her than I could ever possibly feel for Ross. Which I think the show, the show knows they handle, they handle that storyline interestingly. And I'm excited to get to future stuff where we can flesh that out more. But in the meantime, Ross just wants to be married again, and in runs 
Rachel. In a dress. The actual inciting incident of the show. She was going to get married to Barry Finkel. Yes. And then she realized he looks like Mr. Potato Head. And there's another Freudian moment because when Ross goes to shake Rachel's hand or whatever he was trying to do, his umbrella opens. I thought that physical bit was played really well. He's great with the physical comedy, I think. David Schwimmer, it took me a long time to, to come around on David Schwimmer. I, I realized finally that he's a very underrated actor. Most people, of course, associate him first and foremost with Ross for very understandable reasons. Not, I'm not in a position to really comment on that performance as a whole because I've not seen the entire show. But the more and more and more I key into the choices he makes, and even when he plays drama, he was on People vs. O.J. Simpson. Yes. Uh, he was Robert Kardashian. And he, at first, it was very off-putting to me. because I'm like, it's David Schwimmer. Why isn't he doing something big and, and goofy and right. neurotic? Why isn't he dropping the umbrella and popping it open and stuff? And the longer that series ran, the more I went, oh, he's actually, he's, he's capable of more than I was aware he was capable of. And then I go back to the stuff that I already knew he could do, and I'm appreciating, appreciating it on an entirely new level because it is so big. And frankly, this entire cast, this pilot, but right from the jump, I, I found myself very impressed. Everyone is playing it so big yet so precise. Yes. And that was, was very impressive to me. But David Schwimmer in particular, I feel like, doesn't necessarily get the credit that some of his friends' castmates have gotten. I agree. And I think part of that is his character on the show isn't necessarily likable all the time. And so that works against him. But also, I th I'm curious what would have happened in his career if he wasn't Ross. Because he was already very much an up-and-comer. And... Up -and he was going to be big. Yeah, he was being pursued for movies and, and such, if I remember yes. correctly. Yes, and he, the role of Ross was written for him. Was it? Okay. Yeah. He had auditioned for another project that they worked on, uh, David Crane and Marta Coffin, and just from that, when they were writing a script, he didn't get that part, but he stuck in their heads and they wrote him, he is Ross. He booked the room. Yeah, and that's why he was sort of the actor of the ensemble. Him and... Courtney Cox, because they were the bigger of all of the cast members at that what, point. What had Courtney Cox done between, what was it, the Springsteen video and yes. and this? Oh, gosh. I was going to try to spread out the info about all of how they got the cast, because, how they got cast, because it's so much info. But Courtney Cox did the Springsteen. She also was the first female to say period on TV. In really? In a commercial. Yes. In a commercial? Yes. A commercial for what? Tampons. I don't know, man. Maybe it's a super weird McDonald's commercial. But so, okay, that's really, that is interesting. So exactly. it makes it, it makes a ton of sense that if she, so she ends up in a music video, she does some commercials. That's fairly noteworthy. At that time, those were bigger than they are now. Commercials? Uh, commer <laughs> music be videos, for sure. Being on a big commercial and being in a music video, having that be enough that she was a known entity. She was successful. Right. Like, it, it's incredible how if I, if I recall correctly... That Springsteen video happened, and almost overnight, or seemingly overnight, it's like, who's the, who's the girl from that Springsteen video? Exactly. And she also was in an episode of Seinfeld. Yes. That I vaguely, I knew that. Yeah, and she, apparently that set, as much as they 
act like they're terrible people on the show. That set was such a great community environment that she sort of pulled everybody aside on the friend set and was saying, we should be helping each other out, giving each other notes the way they do. It's not a competition. We're trying to have the best show possible. Yes. I want you to give me notes. I'm going to give you notes. Right. We're not trying to one-up each other in a scene. We're trying to make sure that we're all telling the most cohesive story we possibly can. And the more we communicate with each other, the more we learn about each other as performers, the better we're going to be able to play off each other. And she was originally going to be Rachel. They wanted her to be Rachel. She fought for Monica. For Monica, they had Janine Garofalo in mind. Really? Which is totally different. That would have been, been a, a very different show. That's a yeah. That would have been a very different Monica. Janine Garofalo is absolutely brilliant. I I feel like don't it would have felt honestly less vanilla of a show if it yes. was Janine Garofalo. Yeah, which is not to wanna, insult Friends. It's just I hope not. This is you're making me watch the entire thing. It'd be a shame if you were tar- starting to take wax at it in the pilot and stuff. <laughs> but no, it's a very different. Janine Garofalo is brilliant and very, very funny. It would be a very different energy. So I handed you a little flyer. A little survey. A little survey. A little survey. I felt like I was reading a a ladies magazine in the 90s. Sure. It was from when the show was originally titled Six of One. You know what? I get it, but the fact that it took me a second where I aggressively had to parse that for meaning means it probably was the right call to change the title. No, I just made it more... six. Of, okay, so six of one, half dozen of the other is an expression. Yes. But that made it even more confusing because I had settled on, well, six of one, maybe it means there's six of them, but really they are one. They're so they're so yeah. alike and so compatible. But then the fact that there is an expression, six of one, half a dozen of the other, well, they're all the same. There we go. I feel better. Still, too, too, it's too much of a riddle. So I handed you the survey, six of one. Yes. What were your answers? The first question is asking male or female. Well, should I, should I spoil this one for you? Yeah. Uh, I circled one. One, which is male. I am female. Uh, what is your age? And then it asks you to circle which of the words below describes your opinions on Monica's story. Oh, are we not announcing our ages? We are we are both in the eighteen to thirty four bracket. Yes, that part's less important because this it was survey, on the survey. I, I said that it was relatable, original, enjoyable, and predictable. Okay, so we'll talk about it. I cheated heavily. Yes, because I I circle I gave enjoyable a full circle, uh, and one two three four of the other answers I gave half a circle because I think it is that, but with caveats. Yes. So. Should I explain? Are you going to explain sure, yours? Do you want to go first? It. Do you want me to go first? No, I don't need to explain mine. Mine so, really straightforward. Okay, all of these, all of these words uh, that uh, because the, okay, so the list of words, right? Realistic, relatable, original, offensive, adult, enjoyable, predictable, confusing, boring, and believable. Yes. Enjoyable got a full circle for me. Great. I enjoyed it. Interesting. Realistic got half a circle. It is half realistic. Yes, exactly. That's See, true. I didn't even have to explain it. Realistic got half a circle from me. Adult got half a circle from me because obviously they're talking about their their dating and their sex lives. So not material geared towards children, but the two of them, because it's a sitcom, you have to approach it. The, the two adult characters have to approach it in an almost childlike fashion. Yes. So got half a circle from me. Totally. Predictable. Half a circle. 
Okay. Largely because there must have been there there must be some element of conflict, especially because I I know enough about friends to know that Monica does not end up with Paul the wine guy. What? I, sorry, I'm spoiling shit for you now. But obviously, obviously, it wasn't going to work out for the two of them. But what the conflict was going to be specifically and the way it panned out because you really do you feel for Paul for a second. And then you do realize you? In the initial conversation, in the initial conversation, yeah, but of course, before the truth comes out, you can feel sympathy for him. But of course, some drama has to arise. Didn't wasn't looking far enough ahead to see what that would be. So I gave that half a circle because the the general was predictable, but the specific less so. Yeah, and believable gets half a circle essentially for all of the reasons I just described. Right, I can believe it in this like realistic right exactly i can i can buy it in a sitcom context if we're if we're trying to graft it onto our world look i'm sure i'm sure that's happened so maybe i'd give it three quarters (laughs) of a circle sure but and then the final question is in this episode of six of one monica had sex with paul on their first date in thinking about this story would you keep the story the way it is prefer it if monica and paul did not sleep together but made plans to spend the weekend together at the mountains instead or prefer that monica and paul not sleep together what did you pick what did you first what did you pick since i i clearly am inclined to over explain my answers i mean i picked the final one but not because i'm offended by any of it but because you just want nice things for monica yeah I I picked the first one. I said keep it the way it is keep for a couple way it is. for a couple reasons because of course I think yes if Paul was deceitful and manipulative that's obviously not okay and obviously I don't want any character even what I'm only ostensibly supposed to be rooting for to have to be put through something like that. However, I think it's a great way to establish. And I don't know how much they explicitly and directly pay this off. I think it's a great way to establish a little bit of conflict. For Monica, it gives her uh, something something more immediate and substantive to respond to that is personal for her, that isn't just my old pseudo-friend showing up and me having to deal with that, something that is just a part of her personal private life. Yeah. I think you learn a lot about her character that you don't learn in the... You learn a lot in the other scenes, but you learn specific things about her character mm-hmm. and her feelings if only generally, about relationships, dating, romance. Yeah. And I think I would much rather, especially if Paul the Wine Guy is not going to be a regular fixture, I would much rather them burn through that as because there's no reason to drag it out, right? If they had made plans to go into the mountains together, whatever. Right. At a certain point, this would have happened anyway. And I don't think... Some version of this would have happened anyway. And I don't think there's any reason to forestall it for the sake of forestalling it when you could tell that story more efficiently in a tighter 21-minute time frame and you can learn more about the character of Monica in the process. Absolutely. So would you like some more context for what this survey is? Yeah, a little bit. You don't want me to just move on? (laughs) I mean, mean, it depends on how much. You might want to keep me in suspense. This might be some, some... real world spoilage actually what it is is what was handed out to the studio audience when they recorded the pilot that makes it this was an exit survey that makes a ton of sense the reason it was handed out is because one of the producers thought monica was a slut 
and didn't want that to be part of the show. That sounds like a white man who wears a suit in the early 90s, yep. It sure does. So they handed it out to the audience, and the audience made the totally correct call of, Monica can sleep with whoever she wants to. Right. She is a grown-ass woman. Do you have any final thoughts? Look, we did it. Look, look at we us. Did it. Look at us go. We did one. Um, do I have final thoughts? I thought that was a pretty strong pilot. And as I mentioned before, I get even this early on. I can completely see how the best version of this, the the platonic ideal of everything I'm seeing in this pilot, I can understand why it would appeal to so many people. Will it appeal to me the same way? TBD. Right. I adore this pilot. I'm not a huge fan of the Paul storyline, not because I want to make Monica feel bad for her life choices, because I totally support all of that, but... <laughs> you're not, so you're not saying, Monica, look what you made Paul do. No, that no. is not my stance. Okay, because... It's just that I love the establishing stuff. I like the stuff that carries through through the rest of the series, more so than the one-off sitcom end of episode things are reset type stuff i like sure. the stuff that they're laying the groundwork for much more and that's what i want to spend more time with in this episode well good news for you and and uh, dubious news for me <laughs> we have a lot more time to spend with this show all right misketeers we're gonna put a pin in that right there that was just a little sampling of the first uh, jumbo sized episode of the friends with benefits podcast first episode is going to run you about a full uh, hour and a half in its uncondensed form in the, the way it was meant to be heard and in that first episode obviously we're going to keep talking about how the show came to be what informed that pilot coming to fruition in the first place and we're also going to delve into the pilot itself a little bit more fully talk about it break it down get some some facts some insights i'm gonna learn some things we'll learn and we'll we'll grow together it'll be fun you can find new episodes of friends with benefits every thursday on itunes and podbean and pretty soon everywhere else you can also find it on facebook check the facebook page for updates it is friends with benefits podcast and it is also on twitter at friends with pod you can find Friends with Benefits host Mary Ann Ramish all over social media at her name, Mary Ann Ramish, R-A-E-M-I-S-C-H. And of course, as always, you can find The Missing Out Podcast wherever your fine podcasts are procured. Check for Friends with Benefits while you're there. And of course, our show is all over social media at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael, and Tari is all over social media at Tari J. That's T A U R I J A Y. I'm gonna go poke him with a stick, see if we can't get him up off the floor. I'm um, I'm struggling. I like have myself propped up on a table now, so that's progress. I'm gonna wipe some of the meat stains off of myself. So much turkey, so and the potatoes. There's potatoes in my hair. It's gross, but. Next week, we're going to be all cleaned up. We're going to be awake. We're going to burn some of those sweet calories off. In the meantime, we're going to be back uh, uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and uh, totally present with a brand spanking new episode of Missing Out. Until next week, uh, bye.